Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I am talking to the designer, the creative director, and the publisher, Tony Brook. Tony is the co-founder and creative director of the award-winning London design studio Spin, and in 2010, along with Adrian Shaughnessy, he co-founded the design publishing venture Unit Editions. In this conversation, Tony and I talk about his early interest in design from designing minimalist uh, Christmas decorations for his class when he was seven years old to his early career designing music covers. And we also talk about how he started his studio and continues to reinvent it every few years driven by his various curiosities. And then we also talk about how he started Unit Editions with Adrian and their goals for the books they produce and how they strive for making design history relevant to contemporary designers uh, working today. I've long been a fan of Tony's work. I have a, a very vivid memory, actually, of discovering Spin when I was in college. And then when Unit Editions opened, I bought Studio Culture, which was one of their first publications. I bought it right away. So it was really great to chat with him about uh, his really ever-evolving career and learn how he approaches his work, whether that's client work or personal projects or the publishing work through unit editions. I'm sure you've seen Tony's work, whether through Project Six Spin or some of the really truly excellent books that unit editions has put out, including monographs on people like Herb Lubalin and, and Paula Scher. The work they are doing there is just really inspiring and, in my opinion, a great addition to the design discourse that seeks to deepen and enrich our work as designers. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tony Brook. You know, like I was just saying, I've I've been a fan of your work as a designer for years. I, I especially remember uh, a piece of your work that I remember very clearly was when you did the uh, I guess it was when Print Magazine was inviting those guest designers, yeah. you know, maybe like 10 years ago or so. And you did that issue of Print Magazine. I I remember like just I was in college at the time and just loved what you had done and have been kind of following your work pretty closely ever since. Um, but I don't actually know much about your background and kind of how you got interested in design and thought that might be a good way to kind of frame the discussion. So where'd your interest in design come from? Um, it, it was, it was um, early. Well, how far do you want to go back? As, honestly, as far as you want. All right. Well, I was asked to do um, uh, the Christmas decorations at school when I was about seven years old. Oh, wow. And, um, I came up with a, a very minimal solution for it, shall we say. It was basically a square with, uh, that was added an angle across it, and one quadrant was red and the other one was yellow, and repeat. And that was my, my, that was my solution for the, for the Christmas um, decorations. But to be fair to the, the teacher, he went along with it, and I had a team of designers who, <laughs> who helped me paint, yeah. paint um, these squares, these quadrants, uh, because I'd always thought that Christmas was a hellish mess and that I, I loved the idea of cleaning it up and tidying it up. So, And you were seven, seven years old, did you say? Yeah. That's amazing. But, 
But I, I used to get sent out into the uh, school. I wasn't very strong in, in math. I wasn't okay. very good at math. So um, my teacher uh, was a very sympathetic soul. Um, he, he sent me out into the, into the playground because I was quite good at drawing. Okay. And he would send me out to the playground, set everybody their math test, then come out and see me and talk to me about composition. Uh, <laughs> okay. So that was seven, eight years old. And so I would, I, he, would, he would be talking to me about Picasso's um, method of composition or something, which I didn't know who Picasso was, so I had to go and find out. Yeah. And, oh, wow. Yeah, so I was very lucky. I had a lot of encouragement early on. But um, I remember a conversation when I was about 14, with my mother when it seemed like I'm, I might be possibly be becoming an artist. Okay. And she, 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 she put it very plainly in a, in a Yorkshire kind of straightforward <laughs> way that if I, if I planned on starving in, you know, and, and never having any money, then an artist was a job for me. Oh but yeah. Was, but there was something else I could possibly do, which was to become a commercial artist. Mm. And if I became a commercial artist, then I, I had a chance of a career and any money. So yeah, did you? Oh, too bad. Did you know what that was at the time? Did you know no. what commercial art was, or or what kind of what? Getting that reaction from your mom, what was that like? Well, I I didn't know what it was, but a commercial artist um, still meant that I'd be using my skills, and it, it also seemed like there was no choice if I didn't do it then I wouldn't be going to college. Therefore, I wouldn't be being supported in going to college. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. it was take this advice and go to college or don't and right. good luck to you. <laughs> right. so, okay, that makes so, sense. So, yeah, so um, I thought that uh, discretion being the best part of valor, I'd take my my mother's advice and uh, and went to college. And the funny thing was that at college, I, I, um, I started off, they, they started pushing me towards illustration okay. um, because I could draw reasonably well. And then um, and that, that carried on for maybe two or three years. Then I, then I fell madly in love with photography mm. and, uh, and thought I, I, I could be a photographer. But really, ever since I was like tiny, like four, five, six years old, I was collecting stamps. I was collecting beer mats. I was collecting record sleeves or collecting anything that had graphic design on it. Yeah, yeah. And it, it took me till the age of about 17, 18, and to, to, to realize that actually I was besotted with graphic design and that I'd, I'd been surrounded with it all my yeah, life, you know? Yeah, that's so funny. I was the same way as a kid. I, I've told this story to a couple people uh, that I've interviewed before, but I have a very distinct memory of being four or five years old sitting in the shopping cart when my mom was grocery shopping and asking her why letters on different signs looked different like why was a why was a two made different on this sign than this sign and it wasn't until like you it wasn't until i was in much later that i was like oh this is that thing that i've been interested in my whole life it's a it's an odd thing and how how powerful those images are! It's like when when with, when I was curating my um, stamp collection, I curated it on aesthetic value mm. to me at yeah. the that age, and uh, it was really odd to find it again after twenty odd years. It got lost, and my father found it again. And I was looking through it, and what I'd done is I'd 
put everything that I considered ugly at the back, <laughs> everything that I considered beautiful and the most beautiful at the front. And I was judging them not so much on form necessarily, but on colors. But I wasn't aware that anybody, that there was a, a human being was making these things. Oh, you know? right. Not, not, until I, not until I saw, there were some stamps by David Gentleman, who's a fantastic uh, British designer. And he, he, he designed some stamps for Winston Churchill for uh, some kind of um, uh, remembrance of Winston Churchill or something. But anyway, I, I, I looked at those, and for some reason, the penny dropped, and I thought, ah, that, somebody's, done, somebody's made that. Ah. That's, That's so interesting. That, yeah, like but rather than just existing and not, you know, me thinking they were they were beautiful or they weren't beautiful. This is ah, somebody's somebody's chosen those colours. Somebody's yeah. designed that. That was the first time I was aware of design, really. And so, I that's really interesting, and I'm curious about. You know, now, uh, you know, when you were kind of in school studying this mm. and you started making these connections, were, were all of those things from your childhood, you know, formally or intellectually making their way into work that you were doing at the time? No, no, that came much later. Um, when, when, it, when it, because it, it took a long while for me to realize that that could be a possibility. Um, or, or actually, that that, that that was even allowed as a possibility. Because so I went through college. I wasn't a particularly uh, gifted student. I was quite. Um, I was searching for myself. So I used to spend. I used to stay up till till two, three o'clock in the morning printing photographs and things like that. So I would work very, very hard, just not on necessarily what they wanted. <laughs> right. right. Um, uh, you know, so I was very committed and very passionate about it. But um, I remember uh, this um, lecturer at the time, asked, I asked them if, if we could design a record sleeve. We'd just finished a project designing train timetables. And it was really grueling and, you know, yeah. pretty boring, to be honest. And um, I said, well, how could we do something more interesting like record sleeves? And he, this guy just mounted his high horse and said, look, do you know how many students come out every year? And I said, no. And he says, about 60,000. God knows how much it is now. But um, he says, it's about 60,000. He said, do you know how many do record sleeves? No. Is it about four. <laughs> so forget it. Right. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him in a pub about three years later and him saying, what are you doing? And I said, I'm designing record sleeves. <laughs> so, you know, don't give up your new dream. <laughs> right. So, I mean, but that, that actually raises another question that I had kind of about your career before we kind of move into some unit edition things. But I was curious about the origins of spin and um, I don't know exactly how to phrase this, the type of work that you were taking on kind of at the beginning and how you've built the studio and your design practice. How kind of intentional was that? Because I think the reason I ask is I do feel like the studio and you as a person and as a designer have a very particular point of view and I'm kind of wondering if that was uh something that kind of happened organically or if that was a very conscious decision it was um when we, well if, if I'll try to answer your your question about how we started okay. through spin yeah. and then how what happened yeah I do realize was, that was a bunch of questions there was a, there was a moment there was a moment okay when um so I I got to the age of I don't know 30, 31, 32, somewhere around there. 
and realized that uh, there was there was a very specific moment where I was designing record sleeves, working for this company, and I went to visit um, AVL, which is Associated Virgin Labels, as it was then. And I walked through the door. I, I was just walking through the door, and Iggy Pop walked the other way out of the door. Now, Iggy wow. Pop's always been a hero of mine. I, I absolutely adore him. He's amazing. And my first thought on seeing Iggy Pop walk through the door was, wow, Iggy yeah. Pop. And then it was, wow, you look really old. And then I thought, I'm probably really old. I'm too old to be doing this. Oh, now, wow. he's, he's, gone, he's, gone, he's gone on to make a lot of great records since then. <laughs> but, but I felt like I was way too old to be designing record sleeves and that, that I didn't want that to be it. I didn't want to design record sleeves to be the end of it. Oh, okay. Then... Then, then it, it, it started to seem like a ghetto to me. Like it took two, two, couple of years certainly before I got out, but it seemed like a ghetto. It seemed like, the, like I was stuck doing this thing. But I, I love music. I love record sleeves, you know. But mm -hmm. it seemed like I, I wanted more out of life. And then I started working for this other company, and it started getting a little bit broader, but still not broad enough. And then I set up Spin, okay, with the express intent of broadening my horizons and my range of work. Oh, okay. Then, then what I did was uh, for two years, for two, I, I read this little leaflet from a bank, which said that most new businesses go out of business after eighteen months, and then two years. So I put those two dates down. Okay. And I thought, right, I'm, I don't care what I have to do. For two years, I, for eighteen months, I'm going to survive, and then two years, I'm going to survive. Yeah. Now, after, but so we did anything. Anything we were asked to do, we did. It was about just survival, right. about getting used to being in a studio. But after two years, there was a moment where I said, "Right, is that it? Is that is this what is this what we do? This isn't this isn't enough for me. This is this is like we've done it, we've achieved it, but I want to I want to make better work. I want us to be working with better clients and stuff. So we we resigned most of the clients that we had. Oh wow! And uh, oh, there were some stinkers. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. No, they were, they were terrible. Some of the work that we did to them was was dreadful. It wasn't going in the right direction at all. So, so we made I made a decision that we were going to drop these clients, and also we're going to move into a larger studio, which doesn't seem the brightest move. Yeah. But anyway, um, the, the, it's, I, I often say this in, in the talks I do is, is that there's a, a Kevin Costner quote that I use quite a lot, which is, uh, um, build it and they will come. <laughs> Right. And and, uh, and they did. Yeah. Uh, the first the first people through the door were Levi's and falling on a hard on their heels were Nike and Diesel and um, we we started getting wow uh, yeah four which is a very cool um, uh, station in the UK and you know we we just started getting work uh, you know and it was so lucky I can't I mean it's insane what we did really but. So, and and from that, I I started to realize that my my background and and my interests and and the things that I liked, I started listening to them acutely, mm, mm -hmm. rather, than, rather than being some background noise. That they were, I was really listening to my to the voices in my mind. Right. You know, right. What, what do I love? What do I like? What What do I want to see being made? What do I want to try and do? And um, and so that that started on this 
on, on where where spin's been heading ever since, I suppose. But the, the, we, we we periodically reinvent ourselves. Okay. So we were, so we were thirty odd people. We were doing work for Nike. We were drowning in it. I just be careful what you wish for, really. I was I was. I, um, we were doing big campaigns for big companies, and I was really getting unhappy about it. And said, I want to be a small, small design studio. I want to be a design studio that's focusing on creativity. So mm-hmm. we, we reduced ourselves, very traumatic time, but we reduced ourselves down to 12 people. Okay, wow. And, and resigned the, the big, um, well, not, you know, the big, the big clients. Because what, it wasn't that they... It wasn't as anything, I thought there was anything wrong with working for Nike or Levi's or anything like that. Um, it's just that we were doing um, re- regional and Euro- European and global campaigns and for, for Nike, for Levi's, for all these different people. And they are huge and they take so much managing and so, you know, that, it, that I just... I just started realizing that I'd, I'd turned into a manager and I wasn't yeah. really thinking about design anymore. Yeah. So, um, that, you know, it's funny because you, I'm, I'm just talking about this now. We're actually just moving today and tomorrow. We're moving into a new studio. Oh, wow. Uh, which I'm saying at the moment, which is um, a small studio at the bottom of a, a garden. And it's, uh, we basically, we've always wanted to try and, experiment and and move ourselves on and so this move is is expressly with that in mind oh that's so interesting had you i have i have one other quick question and then this this actually leads really nicely into some things i wanted to talk to you about unit editions but i you had mentioned working on these kind of global campaigns and that you were you had become a manager instead of a designer in a lot of ways and, and it's interesting that all of this was happening kind of as you move into a bigger studio, you know, kind of end your relationships with all your old clients. Had you done campaigns and design work at that scale before? Or is this kind of no. all new to you at the time? Okay. Well, it, well what, what happened was, um, I'll tell you exactly how it happened. We, we uh, curios- curiosity is how it happened. Yeah. We, we, uh, there was some new media stuff coming through at, the, at that point, and um, myself and some of the designers, we were curious about what, what this meant, mm-hmm. and so we started dabbling in that, and we built a little CD-ROM called uh, Spin, which which had a spin radio on it, which all the records were spin, so it was, it was um, yeah. we, built, we built a CD-ROM, and that tells you how long ago it was, and it's... Um, that went down very well, and some we we did it up for ourselves. It was a self-initiated project. Mm-hmm. Somebody saw it at Diesel and took us on to do something similar for them. Mm-hmm. Then from that we start making motion graphics because we we're making motion in the CD-ROM. So we start doing little bits of film for ourselves with typography, and uh, then uh, Channel Four saw that and asked us to come in and uh, look at their identity. So then we were suddenly doing a national television identity. Right. Without any experience of that at all, yeah, and 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 that seems and it's the same thing has happened with um, with uh, unit editions is is another self initiated project, right, right. I mean that's 
it it makes a lot more sense hearing kind of all of these other steps and this kind of curiosity and really just kind of following what your interests are and letting your interests drive. Suddenly, unit edition seems like a very natural next yeah. next phase of that career. How did that How did that come about? Well, we just finished. Um, there were a couple of things that that coincided. We'd we'd just finished a book um, for a, a conventional publisher. The first time we'd done one, really. Okay. Um, uh, because we'd done a lot of art, art monographs, and uh, we we you know we got our skills to make a book. We 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 were it was all there, but we hadn't done a commercial book. And we did a book for a commercial. Um, um, a British-based commercial publisher on design, on logos. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm sure it was, I'm sure for people who, who work in that world, it was a perfectly reasonable experience. But the, for me, it was, it, it, it was so difficult. There, there, were, there, were, there were time decisions were taken out of my hands yeah. all the way through what, what paper stock would go on the cover, what, um, what material would be included, I considered my, myself a reasonable, reasonable authority on, on identities. Yeah. So I, I didn't, couldn't see why I was arguing about some discussing identity that the author <laughs> wanted to put in. I just, it just mystified me. It was like, but anyway, so, right. so at, and at the end of this, at the end of doing this book, um, we realized that we'd paid for the privilege of doing the book. Hmm. We weren't paid enough to cover the wages of doing the book. So I thought... <laughs> So, so I, I thought, um, if I'm going to lose money, I'd much rather lose it doing something <laughs> I really believed in, right. rather than doing something for somebody else where they, I don't know whether they made any money out of it or not. I don't know. Um, but uh, so we we decided, and at the same time, I, I was I was really uncomfortable with the amount of money that we were spending on uh, entering design awards. Mm. Because they were very, very expensive, and and we were—I mean, I'm not—we were—we were winning some. We were winning. We we're getting our pencils and our <laughs> right. rolls, right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. But we weren't. It didn't seem to affect the bottom line. We weren't getting calls from people who'd seen that award-winning huh. book. Interesting. It wasn't affecting project. The projects we were getting, and so what I decided to do was to um, spend the money that we would we'd. We'd allocate a certain amount of money each year to towards, towards self-promotion in some way, and it was usually through these awards. It, seemed, it was kind of low-hanging fruit. Then, so we decided to put that money into making something for ourselves, and we researched something that we could make for ourselves, and ended up making a newspaper format okay. thing. So it was it was on the first one we did was on uh, was on spin. And we we sold it on our website with no with no PR or anything. We didn't announce it. We just put it up on the website. I don't know why I expected, but the first three um, orders were from Sweden, France, and Argentina. Oh wow! So this is before um, uh, Google Google Analytics. So I had no idea that people were even looking right. at our website in those countries. Right. Uh, and then that sold out. And huh. then we produced another one, which was on a designer's reading list, 50 designers' reading lists. So reading lists, um, reading, reading, required reading for students. Right, right, designers. yeah. And 
and that sold out. And then we did one on punk, 70 singles, yeah. and that sold out. And then I met um, Adrian on uh, on a, a show that he used to have called Graphic Design on the radio. Right. Yeah. And after that conversation, we went to the, went to the pub for a pint, and I said to him that I was thinking of publishing mm-hmm. based on these three papers that had done so well. I was thinking of, of, of doing some publishing. And he'd been thinking about a similar thing. Okay. And so I said, well, why don't, why don't we do it together? Be, I mean, it seemed like he got, he got all the, the writing skills and we got all the design yeah. you know, skills. So, um, and so we, we said we'd give it a go. And, and that's how Unification started. And so it literally, because something I was curious about is if you had done, you know, as a studio, any kind of publishing work before, and it really was just these kind of experimental kind of newspapers. Yeah, I mean, those those were, that's what gave me, that's what personally, um, uh, you know, Adrian had a, a big selling book and uh, having a graphic designer without losing your right, soul. Right, right. Um, but... We'd, we'd had experience doing this this design book, and I think I understood something. There, there's something I learned from that process. That was that that publisher did not understand designers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It didn't understand what the what what would what would get them excited, and the the the, the writer didn't either. Very capable writer. Very capable publisher, both very successful. Yeah. But didn't they? I don't believe that either of them knew what conversations you needed to really put your ears up and listen to regarding designers. Right. Right. And and uh, Adrian has got a a long history in design. Mm -hmm. I do too. We we have you know I'm, I'm a collector. And I've, I've been a collector since, since the stamps. Yeah. It carried on. Yeah. My collection is carrying on all the way through. And so um, we're finding to our cost now, we're trying to move um, studio. What my collection means is that I've got a shitload of stuff. So <laughs> right. I've got, I've got, I've got a, lot, a lot of material. And yeah. um, it's so that's informed some of the books that we've done. But I'm, I think that. Uh, the, the strength of, of unit editions is that we we we're, it's a, we're we were a response to something as well in the design in design world, which was that we at the time I felt whether fairly or unfairly that there were a lot of books being produced that 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 weren't mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. well written. That, right. the, the, the content the, con, the written content wasn't equal to the visual content, and that there was a lot of eye candy. And there's, I know, I know through my collecting that, that there's some just brilliant stories, brilliant story stuff, and I love the idea of of design celebrating itself, mm-hmm. of of digging out these stories, digging out these individuals, finding out what they were about, yeah, you know, re- representing their work to the world or representing it to the world. And one thing that we we tend to be really keen on is. Their, their contemporary relevance. Yes. So when they design, the design, the way that we design the book, the way we approach the book, is we're looking at someone that you as a designer ought to know about. Yeah. You need to know that person. 
Yeah. That was make a difference. That was that was something that I wanted I was very curious about talking to you about because I think um, I have the unit edition site pulled up and, and you have right on the site that you know kind of the editorial statement is um, to throw a spotlight on areas of graphic on overlooked areas of graphic design as well as landmark figures and putting them in a historical context or putting them in a contemporary context um, yeah. putting historical designers in a contemporary context sorry how do you I'm, I'm very curious about kind of how you think about that editorial direction and how how you kind of I don't know I guess the kind of the process of of kind of producing a book like that and you know, from kind of how, how are you picking your subjects and then how are you kind of looking at them through a lens of today? Because I'm sorry, this question got very big, but I think it relates to your what you're talking about with collecting and and history and that oftentimes kind of design history can be seen as this thing that's just, you know, a bunch of objects from the past, but to make them relevant and to show that we can learn something from them today is something that I think a lot of design books don't do, which is why I think your work is so interesting to a lot of people. Well, I think that there's a story behind okay. every single book and, and, and there's, there's an, an aim and there's been a dialogue that we've had before every single book. And, you know, if, if I've got an idea for a book, quite rightfully, I get challenged. And we that through those discussions, we find out where our attitude is and what we're looking for. And but it's all it's all cleared up before we've made a step forward with any of the books. Oh, um, so if you look at, say, for instance, if you look at a monograph, then you're looking at something that's um, an individual that has a particularly rich story, in, because we were told flatly that monographs don't sell by conventional publishers, like just forget it, doesn't doesn't that? And that's just not true. We just don't sell twenty thousand of them. We yeah. sell two. <laughs> right, you know? right. But that's enough for us. That's great. You know, um, two thousand interesting people, interested people's better than twenty thousand. Not that bothered. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the, the the individuals that we choose, they all they've always there's, there's something in common. With, they all have something in common, which is that they've all had really interesting, quite often um, quite meandering career paths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that there's a, there's a, an underlying thing there, which is there isn't one route to success, yeah. and that that they're they're wonderfully inspiring. Um, stories that they have to tell, and I would I would say, F. H. K. Henryan, um, Lance Wyman, yep. Paulisher, they've all got tremendous stories behind them. So they 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 they're in themselves, in of themselves, fascinating people that have made this stellar work. Now, it, for me, it's always really important that that you can feel a connection with that work because. Yeah. You don't. If you don't feel a connection with it, it just looks like stellar, impossible work. You know that. I remember I read this thing by uh, Saul Bass. This uh, it, it was a commentary on a on a, a presentation he made. And he was telling he was telling these um, students how how designers uh, can you know in practice 
uh, made it look like they just clicked their fingers and this right. amazing thing was handed right. down on a tablet of stone from a shining light and you know they could yeah. never achieve this and, yeah and uh, I just hate that so so there's an element of demystification but there's also a wonderfully rich story that's attached to these people that uh, is worth telling and then you get the other ones like things like type only and type plus where that was a that was a, a decision to look at because I collect a lot of old stuff, right? right? Right. But I was really excited by what was going on, and we both we're both aware that we don't want to be the History Channel, that we're only we're only looking at ancient right. history. And, right. and we, you know, it's really important to us that uh, we look at contemporary design as well and find opportunities to talk about that. So those two books were about the effect that computers have had on typography mm-hmm. and it's a, i mean it, we we made it a point we we gave every single um uh, person who came to an intern to do an internship for unit we gave them that job the job of finding something for that book right and we wanted every single country that we could possibly get in there so as broad as possible and it it really it's it's a phenomenal record of the time after the big bang of computers yeah. when beforehand it was a, it was a tiny trickle of of uh, predominantly men um, who were uh, making these this kind of uh, very um, careful structured quite refined work right um, but it was a very niche narrow interest I mean, they made some spectacular work. I'm not decrying the work at all. It's fantastic, but it, it was it was a very niche niche narrow interest. And then the computers came along, and and now the answer to nearly everything is typography. Yeah. yeah. And it's expressive typography, and it's crazy typography. I mean, I actually made a point while we were going through that. I made a point of trying to pick stuff that made me feel slightly queasy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, I just didn't understand that. But I mean, to be fair, I'm like that with music as well. It's like I can listen to something for the first time right. and think, "What the hell is this?" And then, second time, it's the best album I've ever right. heard. So I figured that was likely to happen with That's things amazing. that made me profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, it weren't easy. That I didn't, you know, that it wasn't. Well, they would like that, wouldn't they? Their designers. It was it, it prov- provocative as well. Right, right. That's interesting. I wanna, I wanna go back to what you were saying about monographs for a second, because I think the monographs that unit edition has done are very interesting to me. I love them all. I have not spent as much time with the Paula share one. I looked through it in a, in a bookstore here in New York. Um, but it, it was great, obviously. But what I think is interesting about the monographs, especially, but really about all the, all of your books is much like the studio, I feel like there's a very specific point of view. And so the Paula Cher one was interesting to me in that she's a living designer who's still working today. And it felt like her, but it also felt like you, if that makes sense. Um, And I think I think that's interesting, because so many monographs today are kind of designed by the the designer that it's for 
and the yeah. texts that are in it are by the designer that it's for and so it's just you know it ba basically becomes in some ways like a kind of glorified portfolio and yeah. and you Which kind of always go against that and i'm i'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that um and kind of you know that kind of editorial direction about what goes into a monograph for a living designer that that could have i mean well for lance lance is a living yeah, designer yeah true so that's true that's a great point um, he's, he, he's, uh, i just hasten to say that uh, yeah, yeah. he's uh, uh for lance he we sat and listened to stories um andrew did a, a really long exhaustive in-depth interview with him and um we spent two weeks on his uh, on his floor basically in his, in his house um shooting all the stuff for the book myself and adrian yeah um, um and it was a it was a really fantastic experience he didn't say anything he just let us get on with it oh interesting which which is fine but slightly unnerving as well yeah but with paula i i i mean i've known paula for a long time so it's we're 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 very good old friends really and so um i was i was initially concerned about asking her whether she'd be interested in in us doing a book for her but she was she was incredibly lovely about me and very flattered that we were asked asking which was surprising to me um because i was saying like, you'd be up, be up pull the shirt why wouldn't we be talking yeah um but, but but we had a lot of um we had a lot of meetings we she she's very actively involved in her work she she's she really lives her work so yeah it, it there I, I i was really i, I wanted her to be happy with it but she want she wanted her her insertion with you design it okay right so yeah and you, you curate it so there were because i didn't know as much about her projects as all of well some of the projects i knew very well but some i didn't know as well um so she would that we'd have lots of discussions about well that could go in or that couldn't go in or not that but this or that mm -hmm. turning and throwing. But ultimately, the, the 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 design of the book, she left it to us to to me, to me and the design team uh, unit. We we basically made the book. Yeah. And what what the most pleasing thing about that was that there's nothing I would. I would want I want to take out when I'm looking through it. There's nothing I want to take out. It's a really full story, and I think that uh, Adrian's um, interview with her is fascinating. She's a fascinating person generally. Just yeah, yeah, she's just, yeah. I'm not incredibly stellar there. But for for me, coming from the UK and not and not necessarily grown up with with her her work, you know, she's 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 not really famous Paula to me. Right. She's she's a really she's just a really good friend. I said that in, in the book at the end of it, but yeah. it's it's really true. You know, she's she's hilarious company. She's great to be with, and it. it I, I, but I was worried that she wouldn't be able to um, to let me do the book right. that I need to do, and she really did. Oh, that's so great. So it was fantastic. It's fantastic. And but would I? 
it is is working with um uh, i would say that for generally living designers we were very lucky we found it very very cool ones <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would say that most of the time they should do their own book and we've actually done a book on spin that that right. the spin, the spin monograph was about we were trying to think of someone who could do who could show an archetype for a contemporary monograph a monograph that wasn't a headstone yeah 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 so it's not it's not like and um, that was it yeah story told and they're now dead so that it was it that was really carefully constructed to to give a sense of a living studio working day to day right what kind of issues they what kind of issues we have what kind of solutions are kind of what kind of things we're asked to do um it ended up being a lot bigger than it needed to be possibly but no i don't i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) well it, it you know it's but i would say that i would love to find that we've got some people we'd like to talk to about that but the idea of making contemporary monographs which nobody else would make that we we understand that the, the the problem with um the the vanity publishing with the mm-hmm. portfolio with all it's all got we understand that that's completely not not an option and but all i would say is all the the responses that we, i've had back through social media and what have you about that book have been the kind of ones that i would hope yeah i would have hoped to yeah so, yeah so it's, worked, it's worked out and to be honest that you know people are going to throw Stones, quite rightfully so, sometimes. Um, and there was a time when I was scared to put my head above the parapet, and, and you know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's you just got to roll with the blows, really. So yeah. I'm sure that we're we're um, we're doing the we're doing things with with the right uh, kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know thought behind yeah. them, the, the right the right feeling behind them. Yeah. So, Hopefully that shows. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the spin book is, is an incredible uh, kind of object, um, you know, both as a physical book, but then the content, I think, is just kind of incredible and very, like you said, very different than than a lot of monographs in a way. Um, and the I think the Paula one is, is great also. I think he succeeded definitely in, in kind of what you set out to do for both of those. I'm curious how you think about the audience for these books or what you even know about kind of the unit edition customer are they i assume that they're primarily in the design field as far as i know okay as far as i know they are um but not necessarily can't all be but but i think primarily they are um i know that uh they're they're really responsive. There's an element of trust which is really, really humbling. Yeah. They, they, you know, will come up with somebody that 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 they've never really heard before, or or they don't really know that much about, and they'll they'll go with it. Yeah. And you know, and it's just it's just fantastic that, and we we're really. Um, we're really working hard to keep the, the physical uh, beauty of the books going because I, I mean I don't know about you but whenever I get a book you've got to stroke it and smell it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. there's, there's that aspect of it, but it's it, if if that was all they were, 
yeah. then it, they will be only half of what they are. It's the fact that they're, they're, there's really strong research and, uh, and really great stories going into them. You know, I think that's, that's really the key. Yeah, and I think that comes back to kind of what you're saying about working with that publisher before and, and them not understanding designers that I think is probably yeah. kind of something that really helps you is that you know between you and adrian it, it's from what i've gathered it sounds like the content and de design is really kind of happening together in a lot of ways yeah it is and i would say that i i don't you know i don't hold it against those publishers right you know it's not, right. it's not their fault they're not designers it's not their fault but i did think that that was something missing right right that's all. I could see that there was something missing. That there was a, they're still doing very well. They're doing great. Yeah. They're their books. It's just that I, I just felt that there was a there was an aspect missing that we could we could possibly feel. I didn't realize it, that it would be uh, so big or so yeah. you know. Um, but uh, if we're 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 sticking to we're sticking to our guns and we're not. We're still we're still solvent, right? So, you know, it's good, right? Right? Yeah. I have I have uh, just a couple more questions to kind of wrap it up. Uh, I think these will be kind of you know a little just kind of quick questions, um, but one more just to kind of follow up on the audience question and yeah. and kind of connecting to uh, kind of the design and content together is something I found just in the people that I've talked to for this podcast and kind of in my own research around the design books that are kind of on the market right now is how many of how many kind of contemporary design books seem like they're geared towards students or young designers and and are you know kind of how to or things like that and i i feel like that's not something that that you guys are interested in no the, you know if you read if if you read um uh, Lance Wyman, or you read Porsche, you found how they did it. Yeah, they know how to how they did it. But but I mean it it's not it's not um I hate the idea of passionizing. Right, right. That's what thing. I was getting I, at. I just find it I just find it really really insulting. These are smart smart intelligent people that we're talking to. Right now it's different whether they can afford because some of our books are expensive. Because of the the nature of our business, I'd, I wish I wish they were cheaper. Yeah. But we, like I say, for instance, um, uh, Herbal Ballon, right, right, which is the one. So we've got, we've done the big book, we did the little book, we've done an even smaller book. <laughs> right. Somewhere along the line, a student will pick up one of those and be inspired by Herbal Ballon. They could be inspired by his work, or they could be inspired by his attitude. You, you, you know, there's, right. you could you could you could absolutely hate Herbal Barnes' work and still get so right. much out of it. An original figure. Right. Uh, now, that that the, all those all those iterations of that book have have sold really well, and I would love to think that a, a student of design. Will come in, and this is happening. This is this is happening. If you look at Instagram at the moment, we've got. Um, I, I put a picture of uh, some uh, file copies of the hard drive, the hard big hardback yeah. of uh, Valen, and uh, 
there's so many people that are saying that they, they, they would love to get that book. So we've got to look at that. We're going to look at that because I guess that when it was when it was out, they couldn't afford it. Now they can. They're going to we want it. Right. Whereas, right. and they they don't. We, what we found from our our, uh, our audience mainly is that they want the book. They don't want, they don't want just a book. Right. They want the book. So we start right. with the book. Still like the idea of doing this kind of uh, you know slightly cheaper diffusion range, if you like, of, of affordable books. Yeah. And I think she's Karen doing that because. Um, and I remember being a student, but I also remember being uh, massively overdrawn from buying books. So <laughs> right, right. I, do, I do sympathize with them. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how now being a publisher has changed your design practice and the work that you're doing for clients. Has, has anything that you've learned or through kind of that editing process changed how you work for other clients at all? Um, uh, I don't know. I, what I do know is that we're we're that the work at Spin is becoming more experimental, and mm. and um, uh, it, it's it's changed markedly over the last year um, with some new projects coming out very soon. They'll show this, but uh, it's it's become we've become much more um, confident in what we're doing and and much much more ha much happier to push things further right. and I think that has to happen with uh, unit editions as well I think that um, making more more interesting and and more innovative responses to that the material's got to be the way forward right. you know if, if we start relying on if we start resting on our, on our laurels and start thinking that we've we've somehow made it, we're in big trouble. Right. Because we're a small we're a small, you know, bespoke publishers, and our our audience. I, th this much I know about our audience: they like nice books. <laughs> yes. They like they don't you know so they're not going to want anything that's less than right pretty damn good. So right. My my last question. Uh, is you know this podcast kind of at a very high level is about design criticism and it's about kind of how we talk about design and the kind of discourse around the graphic design profession and i'm curious as someone who is through being a publisher someone who's very much involved in that and is kind of putting things out into the world around what we talk about are there topics designers you know kind of issues facing contemporary design that need a spotlight turned on them right now or you feel like are kind of not really being talked about well my the, the thing that's exercising me and a lot of designers at the moment i guess but uh, the I, I just talk from my own perspective obviously yeah is is the the um the hellish criticism that anything new gets mm. like somebody decides to to uh, change their logo right and i know that i'm sure lots of people mention this but people go they lose their minds over it yeah it's like it's like someone's killed their dog or something <laughs> right. and it's like it's like give it a break you know just i i i, I think that we need we need newness in the world we we don't when this nostalgia the, the nostalgia thing 
leaves me absolutely cold. That, I know that's funny. That sounds strange because I'm, we're looking back sometimes into right. design. Right. But but we're looking at it from a contemporary point, genuinely from a mm-hmm. contemporary point. It was seeing it as radical work or the work that can inspire radical work and inspire different new, fresh work. Yeah. That, that right. It's so important that it's 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 um you know it's it it's a it's a it's an industry that can easily become very self-satisfied. I've seen it happen. Become very self-satisfied, very uncritical, and I mean in the in the sense of uh, uncritical of itself, conservative. Right. Like like when that whole that whole thing about. Helvetica is the only typeface you can use. And if you use anything else, then you're an idiot. Right. Kind of but, um, uh, you know, it's that, that the, the kind of like insane criticism of, of new identities. It's like, give them a chance. Yeah. Let them grow. Let them get there. But, but because I really, I really believe that, that the world has, has changed an awful lot and that, Identities, identities are my big thing. Right, right. And I, I, and I talk about visual language and living, breathing identities that can, that can change depending on what situation they're in, and mm-hmm. not monochromatic, you know, stamps, but yep. but living, breathing design, and um, that's super exciting, and, and it's a great area to be in. But I just, I just, I really don't, don't understand. I can't, I can't connect to this, this needing to throw, you know, bombs at new right. logos. It's just, it's just insane to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love that. That's you know, music to my ears. I feel like one of the recurring themes of these conversations is that, you know, there's more people who are kind of talking about design than ever before, and anybody comes out with a new logo, and everyone everyone immediately has a reaction and kind of what i'm hoping for in these conversations is to talk to people who are a little bit slower and more considered in their criticisms about these things and and looking at history to kind of understand how we should work today and i think that you know all of your work whether whether it's through spin and unit editions is very much kind of in keeping um kind of in keeping with that kind of mentality um, and I love, you know, it goes without saying, but I love kind of all the work that you do. And I'm a big fan of, of all the unit edition books that I have. Um, and so I just want to thank you for this conversation and for, for all the work you do. This was so fun for me. It's been a joy. It's been great. Really great. Peter Yusinoff used to say that he liked being interviewed, interviewed because he found out what he thought. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, it's done the same for me. It's really thank great. You. This episode was recorded on July 12th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.